always fun when you have no idea what's going on. So we're going to be uh, talking together about this word, devoted, over the next few weeks. And um, so I get to, to kick that off. I wonder how many of you um, watch MasterChef? Hands up, come on. This is not like a bad confession, is it? <laughs> or have ever watched MasterChef? And the celebrities on right at the moment. And obviously their aim is to... Um, try and produce something that no one's produced before or something that's inspiring and different. And so quite often they end up with plates of food that look uh, a little bit like that. Because <laughs> that's like beautiful and different and pretty and everything else in them. Any, anyone know what this is? <laughs> Rachel, stand up and speak loudly. Congratulations, brilliant. It is. <laughs> Listen, I didn't make it, right? I know it looks like it's got a bit of tomato in the bottom, but it's MasterChef. You've got to have something different. It's probably some lemon from a part of the globe that none of us have ever been to. It's a deconstructed lemon meringue pie. And... Um, Kind of that's what you do on these snazzy programs, isn't it? You take something really normal and you divide it into its component parts and then you like sprinkle all the, you know, the biscuity bit at the top and then you like splurge the lemon on and then you put the meringue in a snazzy way and, and then it looks pretty and it's deconstructed and somehow in there it's lemon meringue pie and you can put it back together however you like. Personally, I like the genuine article. You know, that kind of when you get the nice crunchy bit on the bottom and the nice smooth tart bit of the lemon and then the nice, and it's all mushed in together. And that's kind of how I feel like it should be. We were going to call this series Church Deconstructed. And in fact, lots of people said, oh, that's a really good title. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, and then we started to think about it and what that would be like in reality. And we started thinking that if we weren't careful, it was going to be like this. The church is not the building. And the church is not the services or even what we do in them, really. And the church is not the kids' groups. And the church is not the worship band or the organ or a lute or anything else that you might like it to be. And we started to feel that it was going to become really negative. It was going to be the church is not. We're going to split it all into its deconstructed component parts. But actually, it's all the component parts that make up the lemon meringue pie. And we need it all together. It's really hard to divide it all up without it becoming quite a negative experience. Forgive me if I'm wrong on this, Mick Dewhurst, because I didn't actually check with you, but I have been reliably informed that um, when policemen are um, being educated in how to spot forgeries, what happens is that they... Are, the, the one on the left just amused me. It has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's my first week back at work. Um, they are not given piles of forgeries so that they look at one and the picture's slightly wrong and they look at another one and the colouring's slightly wrong and they look at one and the watermark's slightly wrong. They are not given all the forgeries that have ever been made. Instead, 
they are given the real thing. And they are told, look at this for so long and so hard, know it so well, that if ever you see a note that is not like this, you will know it's a forgery. Look at the real thing in order to work out what is not the real thing. And as I was putting this together, it reminded me that last year, um, Mike and I went with my brother and sister-in-law, Martin and Ruth Harrison, uh, to the Harrogate Fake Festival. It was a big tent uh, on the stray in Harrogate. And we went there with no expectations whatsoever, but it was amazing. I mean, it was seriously amazing and really convincing. And we saw you 2 the Kings of Leon, the Rolling Stones, Oasis, the Jam, and Queen, all in one day. I mean, it was epic. And it cost us just over 20 quid. And it was just in Harrogate. And it was like, you know, we just got in the car, drove to Martin Ruth, parked for free, walked into the tent, 11 o'clock in the morning, stayed there for 12 hours, and, and all these amazing bands played. And it wasn't much cost at all to us. I mean, some of them were really amazing. Genuinely, they were. But I think that they were probably really amazing because we were singing along at the top of our voices and really couldn't hear them. And also because the real one wasn't there. So they just seemed amazing because they were. They were fantastic. Now, we've been to see you too. I don't think we've seen any of the others. And that was probably the one that we thought was probably the worst. Why is that? Because we've seen the real thing. But actually, many of us settle for a fake version, don't we? We, fet we settle for something that is less effort. We settle for something that's less costly. If it's enjoyable, well, what does it really matter? But the thing that we are missing if we settle for that is an encounter with the real star. And actually, nothing compares to that. Now, we don't want to be negative, and we don't want to be judgmental. Um, this is church is not us on the platform and you over there. We are part of the expression of church. That is Skipton Baptist Church. And if you're in another church at the moment, then listen in. But we are in this together. It's not a judgmental or condemnatory kind of thing, but we so don't want you, us, to miss the real thing. We don't want you to miss the real thing. We don't want any of us to settle for something that's enjoyable, but is less effort and less cost and is not the real thing. We don't want that. We don't want it for ourselves. We don't want it for you. And so what we've felt really led to was back to Acts chapter 2. Back to the beginning. Back to something which would inspire us to go, this is it. This is what we want to be. This is the real thing. Now, I know that through Acts, you have different patterns of expression of church. But this is the first one. This is what happened right at the beginning. And it doesn't say anything about worship bands or chairs or building sizes or membership. or It doesn't say about all those things we have to worry about, GDPR and health and safety. It's not worrying about all those things. It's much easier. And you know what? When you go to visit our brothers and sisters in a persecuted church, they have stripped it all back to this. 
to these things that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. They have learned to keep the main thing the main thing. When you don't have a building and you can't sing songs because somebody might hear you, and you can't have programs and activities and everything, you get back to the main thing. Now, I'm not saying take everything apart, but this is where we want to be. This is the real thing. And this section starts with the word devoted. They devoted themselves to various things that we're going to be looking at over these next weeks. And the Greek word there is the word proskartereo. It means to continue to do something with intense effort. The implication is there, despite the difficulties, I'll continue to attend constantly, to continue steadfastly. These are all the words from the thesaurus that come up when you look up the word devoted. Right, I'm going to get you to read them because this is where it all went wrong in the first service. So after three, one, two, three. Wow, I mean, that's quite a kind of, come on, let's do it list, isn't it? Sometimes it's actually easier to assess how we're feeling by looking at the negative, the opposite. So here's another list for you to read. One, two, three. You even sound more grumpy when you're reading the second list. <laughs> but let's be honest, shall we? How many of us have felt apathetic sometimes about faith and church? How many of us have been disloyal in that we've given our true loyalty to something or someone else? How many of us are just inattentive? It's really easy to be inattentive, isn't it? Or indifferent? How many of us have lost our first enthusiasm? I've just become a bit neglectful of the things of God, the things that concern him. These first believers were devoted to God. And the results of their devotion were that they were filled with awe. I don't know whether you've sensed a bit of awe sometimes, maybe even today. They were filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. I'm up for a bit of that, aren't you? All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. There was great generosity. I mean, this is a generous church, but you know, something that touches our hearts beyond what is in any way natural takes us into a supernatural generosity and kindness. And the church grew. Every day it grew. So who's up for a bit of awe and miracles and a bit more generosity and a bit of growth? Who's up for that? Everybody? Now, I've just recently been reading Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, and I had no idea it said anything about this at all. He says this, In our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. It's a bit close, isn't it? Sorry, I didn't say it, so it's okay. <laughs> so true, isn't it? 
We want the awe. We want the miracles and the signs. We want to have a hugely generous church reaching out into the community. We want to see people come into Christ. But what, what's going on in our hearts? And is that their devotion to everything that God thinks is the main thing? See, the core of any of our dysfunction is not necessarily the style, whether we have the organ or the band, or whether we have chairs or pews, or whether we have one service or 25 services, whether we all meet together, we meet in separate places around the surrounding area. It's not about any of those things. It's about a lack of devotion to Jesus. And there's that story told, isn't there, of when <coughs> the Titanic was sinking that there were people rearranging deck chairs on the deck. They didn't even realize what was going on. And at times we can be guilty of being those who are rearranging the deck chairs, not waking up to the fact that the ship is sinking. You know, the church in this land is not going to go on like this forever. And some churches are growing, but not many. And we have to be realistic and say, are we just going to rearrange deck chairs? Or are we going to face up to the fact that the ship is sinking? And at the heart of that is around our devotion to Jesus and the main things. See, we feel good when we sacrifice a bit of time for a quiet time or for coming to church or whatever. But actually, God owns all of our time. It all belongs to him. Everything we do belongs to him. It's about our devotion to him. And sometimes I feel that we, and, and I do mean we, have created the cheap substitute. I have done that for myself. We apologize if we in any way have done that for you. Because actually it's at the heart is a calling to devotion to Jesus and to his word. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what does that mean? I mean, these guys, you know, they were teenagers, quite a few of them, and they'd followed Jesus. And I found something in Acts that I'd never noticed before, and I don't know how many times I've read it. And it was the bit where, you know, Judas, he's not an apostle anymore because he betrayed Jesus. And so they say, well, we need to find another person. And they say... Let's choose someone from amongst the people who've traveled with Jesus all the time. And it wasn't just the 12. There was men and women, maybe up to the 120 who were in the upper room, who traveled with Jesus all the time. Big group of people traveling around, isn't it? A lot of bed and breakfasts. Let's choose one of them. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. That's the main thing. They've been with Jesus. They've taught with Jesus. They've experienced Jesus' character. They've heard his stories. They've seen his signs. They've been there to the cross and through the cross to the resurrection. And on that day of Pentecost, they gathered in the upper room and the Spirit had come upon them. And all we've experienced this morning is the smallest, smallest touch. 
The Spirit came upon them, it's rushing winds and tongues of fire, and they started to speak out, and everyone could understand them. And Peter, I don't know Jesus at all, I've never met him. Peter stands up, and he preaches to them, and he explains the gospel to them, and he goes through the Old Testament. He says, this person, Jesus, he's the Messiah. 3,000 people got saved on the same day. What would we do? Me and Phil would be preaching all day. (laughs) They taught them, and the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they taught them about Jesus. They said, this is what Jesus was like. This is the things that Jesus said. These are his stories, and these mean this, and these are the miracles that he did, and this is why he did them. Now, I was listening this week to um, a podcast put together by a friend of mine. It's an interview with the CEO of Open Doors Australia, whose name is Mike Gore, And he said that he was talking to a believer from Central Asia, from somewhere like one of the Stan countries in Central Asia. And he took this believer to Germany with him to meet a church there. And the believer asked one of the German church members, he said, tell me about Jesus and your experience of Jesus. Now, you'd love it if I did that to you, wouldn't you? Tell me about Jesus. So this German believer talked about Jesus for about 20 minutes which was just beautiful. And I was thinking, oh, it's brilliant. As they went away, the Central Asian believer said to Mike, I'm so disappointed. I said, why are you disappointed? He said, I'm so disappointed that he can only talk about Jesus for 20 minutes. If someone had asked somebody in my church community, they would have talked for at least four hours, if not longer, about Jesus. I felt a little bit challenged. Honestly, I felt a lot challenged. What is, what is it that as our experience of knowing Jesus? Because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to their talking about Jesus. And they, what they did was they started to take a lens of the cross and the resurrection, and they put it all over what we know as the Old Testament, the Torah and the writings and the prophets, and they said, this is what it meant. It was as if they got like a contact lens of Jesus and they put it in everything they saw through Jesus. And they said, do you remember that bit in Genesis where the the snake comes and they fall? Do you remember that it says that this is not the end, but that his seed will crush the seed of the snake? That's talking about Jesus. Right from the beginning, God had this plan that he would send a savior, Jesus. Can you imagine how excited they got when they got into the prophets and Isaiah? And they were like, look, you see this, Isaiah 53, this is what happened to Jesus. He was put on a cross. He had nails put in his hand. He had stripes across his body. He was put there for us, for our sin. How exciting is that? You see this day after day after day. And these new believers came. They devoted themselves to learning about Jesus, to knowing Jesus, to looking at the scripture through the eyes of Jesus. Now listen. There is so much in here. There is so much. When I became a Christian, when I was 11 years old, I read Journey into Life with my pastor and we prayed the prayer. And he said, what you need to do now is you need to read the Bible and pray and tell other people about Jesus. So I got my Bible. I started at the beginning and I read to the end. That's what he told me to do. And I'm quite an obedient kind of person. I like reading I'm sure that I didn't understand loads of it. 
There is so much in here. You know, are we going to be a community of devoted learners? Are we? Now, if we just focus on the teaching of Jesus, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who's done that? Anyone? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Anyone manage that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, make disciples of all nations. Well, some people in this room have made an effort to do that. That's, that's good, isn't it? Some of us have supported them whilst they've done that. But there's loads of people who don't know Jesus yet. You know the exciting thing? God is bringing them here. We don't even have to, you know, some of us need to go, but not everyone needs to go because some of them are coming here now. He says, pray that the Lord will send out more laborers into the harvest fields. Have we forgotten to pray that? I feel like that was an old prayer. We don't pray that anymore. But there's harvest fields that really need people to go work in them. And our job is to pray. It might be to go, but it's definitely to pray. He says, remember the Lord's Supper. Or we'll talk more about that soon. Follow Jesus' example of servanthood. Abide in Jesus. Phil was talking about that a few weeks back. Here's a few others. Love your enemies. Do good. Don't judge. Forgive and freely give to others. I mean, that's just a little bit, a few bits out of the Gospels, and that's not all of it. Are we devoted to that? To really being the people that Jesus wants us to be? Why should we do that? Well, most of all, that we know Jesus more. Now, we know people when they talk to us. We know people when we hear what they're, we know what they're like. They're the kind that tell stories. We know Jesus by having that devotion to his word, to the teaching. We do it because we get our minds renewed. Many of us, myself included, watch a lot of TV. Many of us spend a lot of time on social media. Many of us spend most of our time with people who do not pursue the love of Jesus. And all those things fill our minds, don't they? And as we are devoted to the teaching of the Word of God, that fills our minds. It renews our minds. It helps to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. And if our minds are renewed, we start to make wise choices because our choices are influenced by the things that God says. We have an 18-year-old in our house now. It's a bit scary. Last night, she went out with some friends into Leeds to celebrate her birthday. The plan was to get the last train home. I went to sleep. I'm assuming she got the last train home. <laughs> Before she went out, I said, I really hope you have a brilliant time. Enjoy yourself. And it's a little thing I've got from Cathy Madhavan. Make wise choices. She said, why do you always say that? I said, because in the end of the day, it's the most important thing. Make wise choices. You know, have a nice time. Enjoy yourself. Be with your mates. Be in leads, but make wise choices because those wise choices can change everything, can't they? We make wise choices when our minds are renewed by the teaching of the Word of God because we make the choices that are in line with the things that Jesus would do. Oh, that's a bit exciting. It enables us to discern false teaching. Again, our screens, whatever type they are, are filled with all sorts of teaching from all around the world of all sorts of preachers and teachers. Some of it is fantastic. Some of it is utter garbage. How do you know? If you hold this up as a rule against what you are hearing and it does not conform with what's in the Word of God, it's wrong. Turn it off. 
But as we're devoted to the word of God and to Jesus, we'll know, we'll have a sense of whether something is right or wrong. And we grow in our discipleship. So just to finish... Where are you in all this? Are you somebody that's kind of happy to be in contented ignorance? And I don't mean ignorance in a rude way. You're just kind of happy where you are. You're happy with what you've learned so far. It's kind of okay. And there's a bit of a sense of, well, I'll leave it to the experts. I mean, after all, you know, people like Phil and Lisa, they've had training, so it's much easier for them. So I'll just leave it to them, and I won't really make much effort myself. Are we kind of in that place? Or we just think, oh, well, it's the keenies, you know? The ones that go to house group every week, those people. <laughs> I'll just leave it to them. Are we happy with where we've got? Is this one of those places where more is a key word? More time in the word of God. Now, I'll take, I'll take that challenge personally. More time when I'm not preparing for sermons. I mean, I get to read the Bible a lot but more time when it's just me and Jesus and we're just talking over the things that he said. Is that a challenge for us? To grow. Are we in a place of just kind of academic study? You know, we know the chapters and the verses and we know the context and we know the history and that's all great, by the way. I love all that. But it's just quite a kind of academic kind of level we found ourselves at. So if I said, name me, you know, well, like we did before, the Ten Commandments. Some of you would say, well, it's da-da-da-da-da-da. When we say, is that working out in my life? Oh, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Are we on the surface or are we going deeper? Are we in this kind of place of over-mystification where the Bible is like some kind of spiritual fairy dust? So I read a verse this morning, so my day's going to be fine. We kind of take it and we sort of, it's like some magic charm. That's not enough, is it? Not enough to read a verse and feel like the day might be okay. I mean, you might read half a verse, but if you take it seriously and it becomes part of your life, then that's what matters. That's what devotion looks like. Because what we need is this, devotion to the word, the words of the Lord. I would imagine that for almost everyone, because I'll give some of you the benefit of the doubt, almost everyone in this room, we need to spend more time personally reading and understanding and drinking in and eating up the Word of God. Learning it. I literally mean learning it. Going back over the things we think we know and letting the Holy Spirit speak to us. Maybe it's in our small groups that we actually just need to take a little bit more time, and there's all sorts of stuff happens in small groups, but to say, what is God's word to me in, uh, in this situation, to us? That when we listen to each other talk about stuff, we go, actually, God is, what is God saying? What does his word say? How could this work out in, in your life? What can I pray for you from the word of God into your life this morning? Liz messaged me this morning. She said Martin hadn't had a good night. I just was like, <laughs> not to Liz, to the situation. And I just spent a moment 
just praying. And it seems obvious, but the words from Ephesians 6 just came straight in my mind. Stand firm in the armor of God. You know, God, we've seen God do some really great things before the holidays. Stand firm. This, this, this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. So I text Martin. I say, read this and pray through it. You know, sometimes we need to do that a bit more for each other. That's what our small groups are, where it's safe. And then we hope and we pray that what you find in church enables you to be more devoted to Jesus. Because if it doesn't, then maybe we should get another job film. It's not okay for us, by the way, when you say, thanks, that was a good sermon. Because actually what we want for ourselves and for you is that it transforms us. So actually a good sermon today will be that next week a bunch of you turn up and say, I spent lots of time reading the word this week. I feel closer to Jesus. He really spoke to me about this situation in my life. Can I share something about how the devo my devotion to God's word has impacted my life this week? That's a good sermon. Everything else is just talking. Yeah? So there we are. I think that's it. I don't have anything else to say. We'll continue with being devoted to other things over the next few weeks.